Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 and to the angel of the church in laodicea write the words of the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of god's creation i know your works you are neither cold nor hot would that you were either cold or hot so because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow, can you imagine even declaring those words to a church? This is coming from our Savior. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wicked, pitiable, Poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on, the, on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so, Lord, we want to hear the Holy Spirit this morning. We want to hear what you have to say to your church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, I started a sermon that should have been done last week, but the Lord kind of led me in a different direction. Um, and it's the church on the last days. As you know, this, this title, End Game, is dealing with end time uh, events. Things that the Bible says prophetically are going to happen in the last days, especially as we draw to the precipice of His return. We know that these prophecies are going to be fulfilled because the prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming, coming have absolutely been fulfilled. And when we talk about the last days, we often talk about, you know, the rapture of the church. We talk about the Antichrist, the one world government, and we talk about the millennial reign, the great white throne judgment. There's a series of events that are going to take place that yet have to happen, but oftentimes the thing that's neglected when it comes to the last days is what does the Bible say about the church in the last days? What's it going to look like? And that's what I want to finish today. That's what I started last week. If you remember, I launched with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says, 
But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now this, like I said last week, last days definitely began at um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, so the last days encompasses all of that. But I want you to take note of what it says. There will come times of difficulty. So what he's speaking about is yet to be fulfilled. It's, It's going to continue to escalate, and things will culminate before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They'd rather be on a cruise than in church. And then having the appearance, this is what I wanted us to focus on last week, having the appearance of godliness but denying the power Void such people. So we know that it specifically tells us there's going to be an appearance of godliness. In other words, people will have the right things to say. They will be connected to churches. They will be able to engage in worship and things like that. But it's all smoke and mirrors what the Apostle Paul says. It's going to have the appearance of, but there is no power. There is no power. And I believe the reason that the Lord was leading me down this road was that we would understand what the church is supposed to look like in the last days so you and I know what ours shouldn't look like. Amen? In in other words, one of the best ways to teach a lesson to somebody is not to tell them what it is, but to tell them what it isn't. And so we look at what the church is becoming today. We look at America. We look at the prosperity, everything else. And we see that we're definitely coming into those days where there is an appearance of this godliness, but it just really, there's something fake. There's something imitation about it. And you remember last week I jumped into 1 Kings chapter 12, which dealt with Jeroboam. King Jeroboam, when the kingdom split, You had the 10 northern tribes, and you had the two southern tribes, and the people were required to go to the temple on three feasts a year at least, and uh, and they were supposed to worship there. God prescribed a definite way to worship Him. Now, you got to understand something. You cannot come to God, and you cannot define your worship to Him. He's the one who defines what worship looks like. Amen? And we need to know that. And so in 1 Kings chapter 12, when we looked at that, we saw that Jeroboam, because of insecurities in his leadership, he set up a a religious system that looked like the real one. I mean, he had sacrifices going on. He had priests that were offering the sacrifices. But the Bible says they weren't of the Levites. They weren't true people of the Lord. God never appointed those people. Their services were, were, were nothing in God's eyes because the amount of sacrifices that were taking place, nothing would right the wrong that they were going down because God never prescribed it that way. And it became a, religious, a, a religion of convenience because God said, 
That, or, or Jeroboam said, it is too much for you to go down to Jerusalem or to go up to Jerusalem. It doesn't matter where you're at in Israel. You go up to it because it's at the peak where the temple stood. So it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. In other words, uh, it's too much of a pain to worship God the way he described it, the way he defined it. And that was my concern with the whole COVID-19 deal when people started saying, oh, this is the new norm. We just do church online. We just watch the service. God never defined church to be that way. It was always the gathering like it is this morning. How many are glad you're here this morning? And, and this is this is what church is supposed to be, not in your living room, by yourself, with your family. That's okay for the moment, but that is never to become the new norm. That was never the way the Lord had defined worship in the New Testament to be. In fact, you could look through the New Testament, read through the New Testament, you're going to see again and again one another when it's describing the church. They were together one another. They edified one another. They supported one another over and over again. The church was a collective body moving through the greater community of the world, radiating the light of Jesus Christ. And so we saw where we then turned to Matthew 21. You remember? And Jesus said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. It shall be a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. He was quoting both Isaiah 56 and he was quoting Jeremiah 7 in that short verse. The first part was Isaiah 56. My house shall be called a house of prayer. God expects his house to be a house where he is revered. He doesn't say it's a house of songs. He doesn't say it's a house of sermons, although those things go on and those took place even at the temple. But he said, my house is a house of prayer because that's where the intimacy with Christ is at a peak or God is at a peak in the Old Testament. And so then we saw where when Jesus was there, that miraculous things happened at the temple, that people were coming to him, and the lame were healed, the blind were healed, that he was doing these miraculous works because when Christ is a part of a body of people, the miraculous takes place. He does healings physically, but he also does them spiritually. Many of you could not walk spiritually. You came on crutches spiritually. Many of you could not see spiritually. You could not hear spiritually. But Jesus opened up your eyes. He opened up your ears. He made you walk according to his ways. And so when Christ is a part of the body, that great and mighty things will always take place because he is given center stage. He is given prominence. And that's why you need to understand, even though we've mentioned politics this year, that is not the center of our church. We are not a political machine. We are a gospel-preaching machine ignited by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, then after he does the miraculous, they kick him out of the temple. They reject him in chapter 21 of Matthew. The religious leaders did not give Jesus any room. Instead of praising him for the great things he did, they got envious, they got jealous. Christ was infringing on their positions of power through his power. And the, the, the first thing when we come to the Lord is we relinquish all our power to him. 
we bow our knee to him because the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, and I would rather do it now than later. And so, so we saw where, where Jesus was, and he's rejected. And then in chapter 23, he says this statement. Two chapters later, he says to the people at the temple, your house has been left to you desolate. It's not my house anymore. There's a switch. Jesus says, not my house shall be a house of prayer. He says, your house. If that's the way you want it, if that's the way you like it, without me a part of it, then fine, I'll bow out. But now it's your house and now it's left desolate, meaning wilderness. So we see that Christ is supposed to be a part of the church. He's supposed to be center in the church. But that's not what's going to happen in the last days. In the last days, there's going to be this God talk. There's going to be these things that are said. There's going to be these things that look like church, but it really isn't going to be church. Not the way Jesus defined it. Now, what I want to begin with this morning, believe it or not, that was the introduction, so I may not even get through it today. I may have to come back to Revelation in two weeks because I think it's not fair to Chris to keep pushing him out. How many think it's fair we, okay, see, we play fair here in church. By the way, we're not a congregational run church, so your vote doesn't matter. <laughs> so prophetically, here's what I want to begin with this morning and why I turned to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, number one, it's the last church on the calendar in the seven churches there. And the prophetic history of the church age in Revelation in 2 and 3 needs to be seen here. Now, the book of Revelation is a book of prophecy. You understand that, right? When you look at chapter 1 and you read verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. Now, that includes chapter 2 and 3. People say that we are in the church age now, so how does it apply prophetically? And what I want you to see this morning is that there's seven churches listed in the church of Revelation, uh, chapter 2 and 3, that are significant. And they're significant historically, but they're also significant prophetically. So I want you to see that each church represents an era of the church age. They didn't just exist then. Then Dr. Arnold Frutenbaum, by the way, who is a messianic believer and a scholar, he's one of the few guys who was able to, he had to go out and find a, a seminary that would allow him to take Greek and Hebrew simultaneously. None of the seminaries will allow you to do that. And he took Greek and Hebrew, he found it in New York, and he got both languages out of the way. The man is just brilliant. But he wrote a book called In His Steps, and it's dealing with the seven churches of the book of Revelation. And it's important because he draws out what isn't just unique to him, but isn't well known in the body of Christ, and that is that these churches also are prophetic. They're going to come down the pike, and I'm going to show you that in a minute. Usually there's a general consensus among scholars on a couple of things, but the third one that I just mess, uh, mentioned, uh, there is some disagreement on that. 
Okay, so one, all agree that the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 all existed in the Apostle John's day when he wrote the book of Revelation and that these seven churches were also types of churches that existed then. By that I mean type of church that each church had its own flaws uh, except the faithful one, but they generally were condemned for one and they were commended for another thing, okay? So they were condemned they were commended, except for this last one. Then secondly, all scholars will agree usually that the seven church types exist through the church age that is until Christ raptures the church, if you're pre-trib like me, okay? So these types, these characteristics of the seven churches that existed in the day of John, when Jesus addresses them, they're not only for that church today, but these characteristics of these seven churches have always existed among different churches. Okay, now thirdly, and this is what I want you to get, is that while there is general consensus on the first two points among premillennial writers, pre-trib uh, rapture people, this is not the case with the third issue, which is known as the historic prophetic interpretation. Now, this view states that while all seven types of churches exist throughout the church age, one type dominates a particular era of church history. In other words, they're going to go right like dominoes, okay? So each church is going to represent a certain era. In other words, that characteristic is going to be more prominent in a particular era than the other ones, and I'm going to give those to you right now. So thus, these letters to the seven churches present a prophetic picture of the seven historical periods in which the visible church will develop. Now watch this. Now I'm not going to expound on these because um, it's going to take three sermons just to dissect these, but I want to give you an overview real quick of each church era. Okay, the church of Ephesus, which was the first one in chapter 2. That represented the apostolic church age. That lasted from about 30 to 100 A.D. The second one is the church of Smyrna. That was the church under Roman persecution, and Roman persecution was most intense from A.D. 100 to 313. The church of Pergamon. That is the age of Constantine. That took place around A.D. 313 to 600. The next church... The fourth one is the church of Thyatira. That was the dark ages of the church, and that lasted till from 600 to 1517. And the church of Sardis, church number five, that was the Reformation. That began in 1517. Christ Community Church is a product of the Reformation. Martin Luther rebelled against the Catholic Church. He said, you guys need to get back to the Word of God. And out of that started the um, Reformation. We don't believe in papal authority. We believe in scriptural authority. One of the things that came out of that was sola scriptura. So that, that took place from 1517, 1648. The sixth one is the Church of Philadelphia. I was just talking to somebody earlier. He had a Tennessee Titans shirt on, and I said, when are you going to get a Philadelphia Eagles shirt? I said, Philadelphia is in the Bible. And so it is. The Church of Philadelphia was a missionary movement. This is the sixth church. It's in chapter 3 right before this one. It was a missionary movement that took place from 1649 to 1900. Then we're now in the church of Laodicea, which is the church of apostasy. 
This is the church that isn't faithful. This is the church that's falling away. We believe this started in the 1900s to the present, and it's going to continue until Jesus returns. Now, when people hear the word apostasy, they say, what does that mean? And apostasy can be defined as the departure from the truth that one professed to have. It's a departure from the truth that one professed to have. It doesn't mean that they actually possess the truth, but they profess to have it, okay? Apostasy is a departure of that. In other words, whether they really truly knew the Lord, they still you know, stood to the virgin birth, the, the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the, the resurrection, the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church. There are certain things that happen and are significantly doctrinally, but in these last days, they're going to depart from that. They're no longer going to, to, to buy into that. They're no longer going to hold to the, the word of God. And so the roots of the present age of apostasy really began in Europe with the German rationalism where the inerrancy of scriptures was denied. There was this moment in uh, German history where they, in, in Europe, they began to deny that the scriptures were flawless and without error. And that began a movement of apostasy because once you depart from the word of God and the authority of God's word, you're off the deep end. You have nothing you can hang your hat on. I don't care what anybody says. Ah, well, we don't really believe in creation. We believe in evolution and this thing. Why can't they just mix together? I'll tell you why they can't mix together. Who in the world are you to say that God didn't create it, number one? But number two, if you believe in evolution, that is a direct affront to God on his creation in chapter 1. The very first verses of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you realize that? So if you deny that, you may as well throw the rest of the book out the window because now you're going to pick and choose. This is why the school system has been so tragic in dismantling the faith of our loved ones. Okay, so it begins in Europe uh, the denial of the um, inerrancy of Scripture. But in the U.S., the table was set for apostasy on January 20th, 1891. Now listen to this. On that day, a man named Charles Augustus Briggs gave his inaugural address at the Union Theological Seminary in New York City. In fact, it, it was a Presbyterian seminary. And in that address, Briggs said there are three great fountains of truth. The Bible, the church, and reason. The in that address, the church and reason became equal with the authority of God's word. And that is wrong. Because human reason has to bow to the authority of Scripture, and so does the leadership of the church. The church has no right to put itself on an equal basis with the authority of God's word. We unfold God's word, we preach God's word, we disciple people with God's word, we live by God's word, but we do not say the church is on the equal authority as God's word. But he did. And when he did that, that started to dismantle what you and I would call conservative Christianity, that all of a sudden now the church can say things that are contrary to the scriptures. That all of a sudden now somebody who's got 10 degrees can now say, oh, that doesn't add up. So this is what 
we believe. And even though it's contrary to Scripture, it doesn't matter because human reason now is on the same level as the authority of And this is what gives way to the weirdest interpretations that you ever see out there. And this is, this is the beginning of the apostasy that you see in the United States. In fact, this man who gave this address, Briggs who gave this address, he was actually excommunicated from the Presbyterian Fellowship for what he said, but the damage had already been done, and now church or seminaries throughout the country started populating their, their, their schools, their seminaries, with professors that didn't believe that God's word was inerrant and the absolute rule. And that's why you've got people today in churches that will listen to sermons and they'll pick and choose what to apply in their lives. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977